This is the Fostering Church Podcast, giving you and your church clarity about where to focus so that you can help provide more than enough for children and families in foster care in your community. Here are your hosts, Jason Johnson and Jason Weber. Welcome to the Fostering Church Podcast. I'm Jason Johnson, and I'm here with my friend, Jason Weber. Hey, Jason. Hey, Jason. You know, as we continue our series unpacking these six key pillars of what an actively engaged church in foster care looks like, we've got a great episode for you today on how to effectively communicate about foster care to your church. Yeah, that's right. In the last episode, we dove deep into pillar number one, recruitment and discipleship. And it was so good. If you have not listened to it, make sure you go back and check it out. But in this episode, we'll dive into pillar number two, like you said, communication. And you know, usually when you hear communication, you might think we're only going to talk about the art of public speaking or preaching. And of course, while that's a piece of it, There's so much more to it than that. Yeah, definitely. When we talk about communicating well to our churches about God's heart for children and families in foster care, we're not just talking about the words we use on stage and how we use them. We're talking about so much more, and I'm excited for us to dig into that a little bit today. For sure. But before we do that, you know what I have for you, right? Uh, You have a a very important question for me, right? A very important (laughs) question for you, Jason. All right. So are you ready? Let's do it. Here's my very important question for you today, and it's in regards to world travel, right? Um, So I imagine just having been around you and um, no one can really be within just a few feet of Jason Weber and not think this man is a world traveler. So I want to know what your world traveling experience has been like and any particular like aspects of world travel, like have you eaten any cool food or been to any cool places or how the world traveler, Jason Weber, tell us about him. Yeah. Yeah. So I I have gotten the opportunity to travel around the world and a, a lot of different places uh, have been able to go to, to Kenya and been able to go to China and been able to go to uh, Ukraine and and Guatemala and been to some other places as well. But uh, the thing that I'm not as good with is uh, exotic food. Yeah, you know, I, sure. I once, <laughs> yeah. So I once worked with a guy and he had a good rule that I, I, I try to live by, which is if you're eating a part of an animal that has been involved uh, in the digestion process, that's, that's probably a red flag. <laughs> uh, I think that's, I think it's a good rule. I, you know, remember one time I was in China and we were in a part of the country where everybody cooked noodles or these giant pots of boiling noodles. And I remember just going in and going, Hey, that's boiling. Uh, whatever might have been living, uh, in that pot is, is definitely dead. I'm just going to eat that. So I just, I just ate noodles the entire week. That's kind of, that's how I kind of do it. I, I do not, uh, adventure eat at all. Smart. How about you? Well, uh, similarly, I've been um, to different places, and I'm not an adventurous eater either, even when I'm back home. And I'll be honest with you, even in traveling for work, um, and I'll be in a new city, and I've got some friends that are foodies, and they'll go find like the cool little hole-in-the-wall spot. And I'm just like, show me where the Applebee's is, and I can order my grilled chicken, and it's safe, and I know what to expect. So food's definitely been a hard part for me with traveling. 
And in particular, there's a restaurant in Nairobi that maybe some of you are familiar with called Carnivore. And they all they serve is meat and you don't order anything. You just go sit down and you will first you walk through a lobby and the entire lobby of the restaurant is a massive smoke pit with swords sticking in it. And at the end of each sword is some animal that's being cooked over the smoke pit. And these guys literally walk around from table to table with a sword, with a cooked animal on it, they reach over you, they stab it down onto the table, and they shave off some of the meat of that animal in front of you. And you don't ask questions. You don't say, no, thank you. I don't want any. You don't do anything except for say, thank you, sir. And you take whatever they give you. Um, And so you're eating like ostrich parts, and you're eating alligator, and you're eating all kinds of stuff. It was fascinating. It was definitely not Applebee's. That's for sure. Yeah. I'm sure you're making the connection here, right? To what any of this has to do with what we're talking about today. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do. I do. Well, there absolutely is no connection at all, except for kind of one. Our guest today actually has a pretty riveting story of growing up in different places around the world. He has roots in London. He has roots in East Africa. He has roots in Australia. And now of all places, he lives in Indiana. Exotic Indiana. Uh, There's probably lots of Applebee's in Indiana, but our friend Kondo Simfukwe is here with us today. And I think you're really going to enjoy hearing his story and how God has led him into a position as the lead pastor of their church, which is deeply involved in foster care. He's a great communicator, and I'm excited to pick his brain a little bit about how they do this at their church. Well, hey, Kondo, thanks so much for being with us here today. Thrilled to be a part of what you guys are doing. Thanks so much for having me. So, Kondo, Johnson was telling me that you have lived all around the world as a kid, and I'm super curious uh, why that was and what that was like and and maybe a favorite memory of living uh, somewhere else. Yeah, man, I've kind of lived all over the place. I was born in England. I was raised in Zambia, South Central Africa. I was um, a high schooler in Australia and then came to college in Indiana, which is where I currently live of all of the exotic places (laughs) I've been. And um, yeah, my dad was part of the witness protection program. No, I mean, that's not, I mean, the witness part is maybe (laughs) true. My dad was in ministry and just happened to be studying overseas during some of the formative years of of my life. And uh, I don't think I appreciated it as much growing up as I do now looking back and realizing what a privilege to be around so many different kinds of people in so many different contexts. But yeah, I mean, as far as a, a favorite memory or a memory that stands out, it would have to be in Australia, nothing in particular, just the number of different uh, um, cultural representatives uh, among our friends. At that point, we didn't realize how special that was. I mean, Lebanese and, and Greek, and man, Egyptian and um, Chinese. It was just this incredible melting pot of friends and, and loved the experience of growing up all over the world. So I'm sure you get asked this a lot, Kondo, but where along that journey did you did you pick up the accent that you currently 
carry with you? Oh, man. I, you know, yeah, people do ask that question and it's a hard one to answer. It's such a, uh, such a blend. I, I couldn't identify it. So it's somewhere probably between Australian and American and many people attribute it to England, you know, because it kind of um, helps to balance each other out. And I think the more upset or happy I am, different, you know, <laughs> aspects of the accent um, show up for sure. That's awesome. The The accent uh, changes and the number of names you use to refer to your kids change. Maybe <laughs> the middle name comes out. Yes. That's so true. So that's a good, that's helpful for your kids to kind of have various litmus tests for yeah. kind of how's dad doing right yeah. now. Yeah. That's he awesome. sounds that's pure awesome. African right now. Run for your lives. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's awesome. So uh, I know, um, not only just because from a distance I know, but I've actually been there. I've got to experience it and be in the room with you at, at mission points in in the Fort Wayne area, outside of Fort Wayne, Indiana. And I know that you actually started that church, which is awesome. Um, in the church starting world, some may say planted that church. Um, and I also know that because I got to be there I'm with you once. One of the most beautiful things about Mission Point, among many, is the culture of foster care and caring for children and families and wrapping around the community that exists there. So can you tell us a little bit about how that became a part of the heart and the culture of Mission Point? Yeah, uh, we did not by any stretch set out to launch uh, a church. In fact, I was being groomed to be uh, the lead pastor of uh, a different church. And man, somewhere along that journey, Lord made very clear to us that this was not the thing we're supposed to step into. And so, man, the truth is at that point, my wife and I were carrying a level of exhaustion that turned into relief, you know, when we sensed the Lord was redirecting us. And so we thought, hey, we're going to go out west and we're just going to, man, serve in a church in a more quiet role and capacity. And uh, so we were making plans to head out of Indiana and go somewhere where there are changes in topography and and mountains and Target and things like that. Mm -hmm. But man, the Lord started to stir something in us. And I wouldn't say it was a vision as much as I'll just say it was a pretty vivid visual that came into my mind. And it was us, U-Haul packed and we're driving out of town and you know, the Lord stops us on the way out, you know, so I picture myself getting out of the car and having this conversation. Where are you going? Well, we're heading out west. And I don't know why of all the things I pictured was him asking me, show me your hands, you know, and man, the visual of me showing him my hands and noticing in that moment how clean they were was compelling to me because I don't know where that came from or why that stirred so much, but it was really this sense of, man, we've spent years and years and years and years in church ministry here and our hands are clean. We've really not gone into the messiest places where the most broken people live. We've lived in this semi-sterile version of ministry that says we're going to make church so compelling that you're going to want to come into our doors. And then the more people that come in, hey, we've succeeded in ministry. But there was just this real sense for us. Our work was not done. We hadn't gone into the places we knew Jesus would be in if he were physically here. So that's how it started for us. And so that was always part of the DNA of the church. How do we most meaningfully represented Jesus in the hardest places. Did not start with a focus on, man, vulnerable 
kids and the families that surround them. I think that came as we started down this path and realized there is none more vulnerable than kids. There is no more population in need than than kids. And then that just slowly became a focus of our church family over time. Kind of our conversation today and what we're really focusing on is this pillar in church foster care ministry of of communication, how a church that is engaged in foster care, how it thinks through its communication, not just about the vision of the ministry and, you know, what it is they're trying to do, but very practically, here are the opportunities to get involved. Here's how you do it. Honestly, in a church, a lot of people are going to be communicating about those opportunities. Um, but let's start with you as a as a lead pastor. When you think of communicating the why to your church behind engaging in foster care, what is important to you in that process? The gospel is inescapably critical in in that. And yeah, it's really interesting. We've we've found it very, very, very difficult to be a church that loves and continues to lean into the gospel without being a church that loves and continues to lean into foster care. Uh, it's in the the world of adoption and caring for vulnerable kids. Those two things seem inseparable. Uh, we don't feel like it's, you know, it's been this strategic move on our part. It just feels like the most logical outflowing of a story in which the most vulnerable and the most broken and the most helpless of populations were in a pretty dire place. And Jesus steps in at great cost to himself and invites us into a better story. How do we live that out? It just is really hard for that not to land us in in the world of the vulnerable. Uh, I don't know how else to say. So the, the gospel has just been central, and we're a church that focuses so much on the gospel. And as long as that's true, I can't see us not, you know, branching application into this space. Those two things just seem inseparable. That's so good. And I, I, I even love some of the words that you're using and some words that we use often with church leaders. And, and you know, we could very well have people in your position that are listening to this right now who are primary communicators in their church thinking through how do I effectively communicate this and what's our why and the idea of continuing to press the gospel deeply into people informing a people who celebrate that gospel deeply and then providing opportunities for them to demonstrate that gospel widely. And then, and then your word of application, just one of the most beautiful, pure, undefiled applications of what we celebrate and our demonstration of that um, is, is, is awesome. You know, I love how you've said this wasn't like necessarily a grand strategy of ours. You know, it was just more of a natural outworking of the gospel. And, you know, Weber, uh, I know that this is a, a component of every one of these pillars that we'll be talking about on the podcast, but this, this core of discipleship is really what we're talking about. You know, we're talking about communication. Yes. But we're talking about communication as a means to disciple people well in the gospel. And that's what we hear in your heart, Kondo. When you think of um, 
standing, you know, at a pond and you throw a stone in and, and for our purposes here, if that, if that stone is the gospel lived out in caring for children and families, there are ripple effects that come out from that central point of, of impact. And it's more far reaching than just where the stone hit the water. What ripple effects, Kondo, have you seen in your church as a whole that you feel like can be traced back to the fact that foster care has become such a vital part of the culture there? When something becomes a part of the culture, you barely notice it as outstanding until somebody either points it out to you or asks you to think about it. You know, um, even as you asked that question, I was reminded yesterday we had uh, some baptisms in our church service. And um, I ran into a group of uh, teens who were backstage and they were just running around feverishly, just setting up for these, you know, baptism, you know, uh, experiences that we got to share. And every single one of them was a foster teen who is serving in our church on such a monumental Sunday. And we're backstage and we're talking and, you know, we have relationships with them and, and we're having this whole this whole conversation. And even something as simple as that, that here they are, not just a part of our church and our church family, but serving others who are now, you know, taking these glorious steps in response to the gospel. And it's just, it's, it's this crazy blend. You know, uh, last week, my wife was telling me she was playing Uber parent to a daughter and a couple of friends. They were going to a volleyball event and she came back just puzzled. And she's telling me like, man, I overheard these two 15 year old girls in the back and they're having this conversation about what they want to be when they grow up. You know, and so my daughter says, well, I'm not sure, but I really want to adopt. And my wife said, I was puzzled. Like, don't you live in the house that is often the chaotic world of adoption? What about this makes you say (laughs) rinse and repeat? And then her friend said, I want to be a foster mom. And she my wife's just puzzled, like. (laughs) is this really what two 15-year-olds are talking about? And by the way, what struck me about that was for us, we're thinking, don't you see the different challenges that this world um, brings about? Don't you want to run for your life? And we're realizing, no, teenagers are, unlike our generation, are not saying, oh, the difficulties and the challenges are reasons to run away from it. They're seeing the difficulties as part of the beauty of the story. It's becoming normal to them, you know? So to me, ripples, I'm seeing the next generation embracing this like it is what it is. It is what it's supposed to be. You know, when you start to list what you want to be when you grow up and you start to list dreams and the things that are most meaningful, we're listing foster care and helping vulnerable kids. That blew, blew my mind. And, you know, that besides just uh, for us, just the constant um, conversations around our church family about, you know, our staff is constantly just telling stories. Guess who brought a little baby into their family for a little while? And, you know, guess who's now, you know, reaching out to, to somebody else who's struggling. It's just a part of the stories that are told in our, in our church family. And, but it was great for my wife to tell it to me from this other perspective that 
awakened me to the fact that the ripples are not necessarily as normal as they're starting to feel to us, which is just, yeah, an incredible, incredible privilege. I could tell stories for days on, I love that picture of the the different ripples and we're definitely, uh, definitely seeing them. That's beautiful. And it, it goes right along with something we often say, which is, um, you know, it can feel real easy at times to make this a special thing. Um, we, we recognize it at special times of the year. We preach special sermons about it at special times of the year. And clearly it's special people who do this and the spiritual elites, you know, the rock stars over there. It, it can be real easy to make it special. And sometimes we have to fight to make it feel normal. And that can often, that's a longer, slower more hidden road at times. But then the beauty of it is when you begin to see it reflected, um, it, it's you hear those conversations. You look around the room and you see these aren't just foster teens that families have brought into our church. These are young men and women who are just a part of our church. It's just normal. Amen. It's normal to sit around the staff table and share stories. It's, it's just normal. And I think that's all what we're fighting for. And I want to encourage even those who might be listening to consider, you know, in what ways have we maybe um, unintentionally made it feel like a special thing that special people do and it's reserved for special occasions? And in what ways can maybe we begin to fight for a sense of normalcy? And so actually to that point, um, Kondo, Talk to us about, you know, the fact that obviously you don't preach a sermon on this every week, right? Not every Sunday is not like Orphan Sunday, or but I imagine every Sunday is the gospel uh, in some form. But outside of those times of the year when maybe you do put special emphasis on this, um, what do other times of the year look like in terms of communications? How is this kept in front of the people of Mission points in very practical ways even when Kondo is not preaching on it per se? Beyond the, the, the pulpit for us, you know, we have a newsletter. It's a mission newsletter of sorts that goes out on a monthly basis. And what that does is attempts to give what we like to refer to as training wheels to our people, that there are really simple ways that you can live this out. I think we have made it at times and you guys have encouraged us so much over the years, even in the language of you can't do everything, but you can do something. Um, it's not going to be the same thing, but it ought to be something. And so for us, it's an excuse in this newsletter to just communicate. You know, there are the simplest ways that you can come around people and be part of this story. You may be two people or two layers removed please, please, please do not despise the small ways in which you can say yes to this and be a part of the grander story of helping the most vulnerable kids. Because you know as well as I do that people hear that and immediately ask the question, are we ready to bring seven kids into a home? Or are we ready to, to, to foster in these ways versus, oh, no, 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 no. There are a thousand layers and options if the church is creative enough to help connect that back to you saying yes to being a part of these better stories. And so the newsletter is an excuse for us to give training wheels, training wheels, training wheels. And we've noticed eventually people who use the training wheels just knock them off and start doing their own things 
without without us. So the newsletter is a really good way for us to give very practical. You can take a meal. Um, you can offer to babysit in this regard. You know, you it's just the whole array. Of, you know that you can actually go rake at somebody's home, which takes one thing off their shoulders and allows them to give more energy to what it is they're on the front lines doing right now. And people's eyes are like, wait a minute, that counts? <laughs> yes, that, that counts. Yes. yes. So that's what the newsletter is. It's like, yes, you'd be surprised what counts in, in saying yes. So that's so good. I love that phrase that counts. And it, it speaks to, you know, one of just communication 101 is, um, is what you're saying is understanding the minds of your audience that you're communicating to. And to your point, you know, the average person, when they hear foster care or care for children, their minds immediately go to kind of the biggest, most grandiose, uh-oh, he wants us to go buy a 15-passenger van, you know, right, kind of thing, because their minds immediately go to a certain lane of caring for kids, which in their minds is opening their home. And what you're doing and what we're all doing and, and to a certain degree is trying to communicate in such a way that we get out ahead of that. Like we, we almost say, we know this is what you're thinking. And so our communication is going to answer those questions or pushbacks that you might offer before you even have the opportunity to ask the question or to give the pushback. Uh, and, and what you're doing is saying, look, look at all these other things that quote count and people's eyes just kind of light up really, you know, that's, that's incredibly helpful. Yeah, it is. You know, and one of the things you said, Kondo, just specifically, very practically mentioning the newsletter, it reminded me of, it reminds me of something that I've heard uh, you say, Johnson, uh, before you talk about uh, when you were a lead pastor at a church for many years, um, that uh, one of the most common requests that pastors get is, "Hey, I, I need to make an we need to make an announcement about this thing that we're we're doing." Right, right, right. Like right before you're going up to preach, you're in the zone, and yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so you guys had actually some really great parameters around if you're going to ask for an announcement, yeah, you got to yeah. have these things. Do you remember Johnson what those were? Can you remind me? Yeah, this might sound overboard, but you know, we we had five kind of. Uh, metrics that you had to meet um, before an announcement would be made. And we also said we're only making three announcements, right? So we always had our top three every week. And so there's no last minute. Everything is very well prepared. And so typically by our our end of the week Thursday meeting, uh, I asked for five things um, regarding your announcement. Is there something to look at? And that was important because people don't all absorb information the same. You can stand on stage and make an announcement audibly, and it goes right through the heads of some people because that's not how they hear or that's not how they learn. But if they see something, maybe a slide, right, maybe then they go, oh, got it, pictures in my head. So something to look at, somewhere to go, right? We wanted to make them um, human, right? Uh, so, hey, we're doing this event next week, and you can go to this info table right here, right now, and get more information about it, right? It kind of brings it a little bit closer. Something to hold on to, or something to look at, somewhere to go, something to hold on to. 
uh, again, people learn differently and we wanted people to be able to learn kind of by touch by, and it's also the, the old thing of, you know, they could throw the card on the floor of their car. And then on Tuesday they get in their car and they see it on the floor and they go, Oh yeah, I forgot that I heard that. And I saw that, but here's this thing that I can touch and hold. And it reminded me number four was someone to talk to again, making it human. Hey, we're doing this event or this is happening. And, and Susie is right out there at the info table and she's got a name tag that says Susie. And if you want to talk to a real life human being about this, that's actually available for you. Uh, And then number five was something to sign up for, something to sign up with. Typically announcements have something to do with there's something's going on or there's something to to do. And and we wanted to capture people in the moment. And so that typically meant, um, uh, hey, if we're going to ask you to participate in something, we're going to give you right there on the spot in the moment, the opportunity to sign up for it. So uh, you came to the table on Thursday at our staff meeting and, and said, Who, who's got announcements they want to make? And they we ran through, do you have your five things? And then we had to vet them out. So just some practical kind of communication. Let's not get up on stage and just wing it. Uh, that usually doesn't go very well. Um, let's be very clear. Let's be very concise, but let's be very vision oriented and ensure that we're communicating the things we want to communicate. Yeah. So when you, when you hear that condo, what kinds of things do you try to make sure are in place to practically support the communications that you're putting out so that you know that there's going to be follow up to the things that you as a church are communicating. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is, such, uh, I'm, I'm not condo. I'm going to butt in here. Cause that's such a great question. <laughs> and I just, I don't want us to miss that because I I've, I've been in rooms and I know a lot of us have where maybe a, just a, a really perhaps compelling sermon is, is communicated on this or a story is shared and people are, they're inspired to want to take the next step. And then there is no next step. There's no infrastructure to support that communication. Um, and so how to, to Weber's point, Kondo, what do you guys do? How, how can, what, maybe what other church leaders can be thinking through to, to do that? Well, what really, really served as a catalyst for us was, uh, a number of years ago, we went to the summit and some of us went early to an intensive, which was hosted by none other than Jason Johnson. So it's interesting that whatever I might say about this will 100% be a testimonial of hearing those five things. That was one of the things for us, and we're just feverishly writing this stuff down. And we've, we've adopted that very thing. So if we are talking about man, there is an opportunity for you. We will usually have somebody out in the lobby that you can go and talk to at a very designated location. In fact, we created what we refer to as the mission corner. You know, So you can head to the mission corner. You all know where it is. On your way out to the right, someone will be there. But we want to show you something here up on the screen that is a visual reminder that will even help tie some things together for you. And Anytime we can have people in the service holding something, let alone filling it out while they're there, is a win to us. And part of that is just, again, the reminder that, gosh, (laughs) if you send people out with a concept, by the time they pick up their kids and the one kid yells at the other and then they get to the car and talk about lunch, (laughs) that inspiring moment is 
gone. They are not feeling inspired, particularly not about kids. So for us, there's even just striking while the iron is hot. We're going to have a visual. We're going to have something you can do. And right now, whether it's something you text or we are now using an app and any excuse we can have, like take this out right now and do something. And there's someone you can talk to um, on the way out. And then trying to think about follow-up. Like, okay, man, remember how last week we said this? We just want to tell you a story about somebody who did this. And hey, look what happened. It's It was really that simple. So I do realize so much of the battle is making it very practical. So we realize a lot of people who said yes in their seat, but we did not give them a way to practically carry out the yes. Like here are the next steps. And it is, it's like the parable of the seeds. And they got out in the lobby and the birds just (laughs) went to school with that. And then the thorns grew and the concerns of this. So we really wanted to capture that moment. And, um, solidified to a concrete step. Just on the super practical level, you know, it, it, we always say you don't always need to know what step 10 is in your communication, but if you're at step one, you at least need to know what step two is, right? Like, so at, at a bare minimum, let's say that your church is going to do an orphan Sunday event around orphan Sunday or stand Sunday. If that's step one, then at least know what step two is. Like, what are you going to invite them to next? You know, and, and I know this is your heart as well, Kondo and, and, and Weber. What we're talking about here is less about strategy. I know it sounds like strategy, but it's really at the heart of this is stewardship, is stewarding people well and walking along with them, meeting them where they are, walking along with them to help them obey God and whatever he's asked them and invited them to do. Um, and we have the opportunity to help create those pathways and communicate well so that we can be good stewards of the people and the ministry God's entrusted to us. So, so just to sum up the things that both of you just said is we have to get people uh, from saying yes in their seat to saying yes with their feet. Is that what we're talking about? Mm, wow, man. I am going to use that. <laughs> that sounds like the next Christian radio hit song. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. That's, that's good, man. really good. That's really good. That's really good. The stewardship thing is so, so, so key because the amount of, oh, I really want to do that, but it feels overwhelming. So, uh, yeah, I feel defeated already. Or I really want to do that, but I'm not sure what the next step is. Both of those can just be, I think they can be momentum killers. But more than that, they can stir in people this this discouragement. Like, it's not a lack of willingness. And then we get up the next week and we say, I can't believe you haven't done anything. And there's a movement of people who are saying, we we're willing to. We don't even know the questions to ask. We don't. Yeah. So we've said yes in our seat, but we don't know what to do with our feet. And you're saying you guys aren't willing to. And at times it's. Yeah, I think it can stir a discouragement if we don't give very practical. Here's the next step. And I love what you said. And the next step with your feet is incredibly manageable. Geico, right? A caveman could do it like it's. Um, it's really that's making this so, so simple is, is key. And then circling that back around to what you said earlier about 
this counts. Yeah. It's simple, but it, it counts. counts. Amen. It's, it's significant and it, and it matters. Um, it, and let me just draw out one more thing that you said, and then we'll start wrapping up our time here. You know, you mentioned that sometimes there's opportunity to share, um, to share something and then to come back around and to kind of update or celebrate, Hey, here's, here's a story of what's God, what God has already begun to do. And, and, and even to that point, Kondo, using communication and communicating celebrations, right. Um, uh, is so, so powerful, um, that sometimes what people need to hear is not necessarily another sermon on James 127, although they probably do, but maybe what's most important for them to hear in the moment is just a celebration of the good work that God is doing. And people want to be a part of that. You know, they want to be a part of, especially in this space when sometimes it can, it can start to feel like it's hard and it's heavy and we're moving into hard places and it's going to be difficult. And people kind of go, wow, that sounds fun. You know, sign me up, you know, uh, but on top of that, we're saying, no, let's celebrate all the good things that God's doing through that. And and people people want to be a part of that. So that's that's super, super helpful. Well, Kondo, we're just grateful uh, to you for, for spending this time with us and amazed at what God is doing through your church, through your congregation uh, for children and families. Man, it is so fueling to sit with the two of you and... Yeah, really thankful for your ministry to to local churches and the ways that we get to do things a little bit better and just feel fueled. Like this reminder for me of some of the things um, that we are not alone in and um, the fact that, man, these things do matter more than we often think in the midst of the grind and in the midst of the day-to-day. So I can't tell you how... I walk away from this definitely the beneficiary of of the time. So, and thank you guys. Well, well, thanks, Kondo. And, and to your point, we'll leave it at this to to everyone listening. If you're a senior pastor, you're on staff at a church, you're a ministry leader, you're an advocate, you just really want to see this become more and more a part of the culture of your church. Kondo just said it best that you're not alone in this, and and so be reminded of that and be encouraged. And absolutely, guys. Absolute pleasure. Thank you. Oh, that was such good stuff. Yeah, he, he's so good. I love his heart. And you can just hear how much of a shepherd he is for his people, even in the way that he communicates. Very inspirational and also super practical. Yeah. And um, it was cool to hear how they're even using that five-part kind of grid of announcements or how they're thinking through how they're communicating uh, there at their church. And if you're interested in that, we're actually going to put a link to that five-part grid of communication uh, in the show notes so that you can check it out. Yeah. And be sure also when you're checking out that uh, five-part grid, check out the Fostering Church PDF. Uh, and that it walks through every one of these six pillars that we're talking through throughout this limited podcast series, and it goes deeper on each one of them. And so uh, it's a great place to follow along as you listen. So be sure to check that out as well. Hey, thanks so much for joining us today. And if you're someone who's listened to this and and you've been so inspired by Condo, and you're wondering, what are some next steps that I can take? Maybe you're a lead pastor or a communicator in your church, and it's helpful for you to begin to think through how do our 
people hear things and are inspired by things? And how can I most encourage them and, and share the why and share the gospel and invite people into this story? Maybe you're also someone who says, you know, I don't really have access to announcements. I don't have access to the stage. How do I do this as well? And we know that there's so many of you out there. And, and you know, the principles would remain the same. Just consider how people hear things differently. They absorb things differently. And sometimes what's clear in our heads um, is not as clear in the heads of other people. You know, we can fall trapped to the the idea that, well, it makes sense to me. Of course, it should make sense to other people. And so, so we want to encourage you to just get creative and find ways to share stories, to inspire people, to invite people into this space and maybe a way that makes sense to them where they can get a little bit closer and God can begin to work on their heart a little bit more. So whether you're in the pulpit or you're in the pews, all of us have a very powerful voice that God wants to use in creative ways to inspire people to move closer to caring for children and families in our communities. Ah, that's so well said, Jason. Well, thank you so much for being with us and we will see you next time. This has been the Fostering Church Podcast. Join the Jasons and their guests for all seven episodes dedicated to helping your church provide more than enough for children and families in your community. Please rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts so that we can help more churches help more children and families. The Fostering Church Podcast is a production of More Than Enough, a collaborative movement facilitated by the members and partners of the Christian Alliance for Orphans. For resources related to this episode, click on the podcast link at morethanenoughtogether.org. That's morethanenoughtogether.org. 